Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're with Helen Paris talking about her debut novel, Lost Property. Now it is book club fiction. Hmm. We try and unravel what that actually means and if she writes with that in mind, knowing that it's likely to be discussed and unpacked. It's kind of the point of it. Also, we chat about why she got so bored with her routine that she escaped and how the idea for this one came from a stint doing some unusual research. I had been doing some research in the Transport for London Lost Property Office in London's Baker Street a few years ago for a different project, for a theatre project that was about um, lost and found and change and regeneration. And so I was working in the Lost Property Office for a week because I thought that would be a spectacularly interesting place to work, seeing that, um, you know, seeing that absolute sort of communication and conversation about loss on a daily level, whether it's about, you know, about the most everyday object or whether about a very, very treasured object, which might also be a very everyday object. There is more on the way with Helen Paris in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. Uh, I hope you've had an eventful week. I can almost guarantee you did not have as eventful a Sunday as I did. Uh, I went to to 10 Downing Street, the home of the Prime Minister, to interview the Prime Minister with about two hours warning. uh, And I ended up playing a game with him for for eight-year-olds. Play the yes/no game if you love it. If you've got kids, maybe you play it with them. Uh, you'd be you wouldn't be surprised to find out that a, a politician is very good at answering questions where he can't say specific words. So uh, yeah, I doubt you had <laughs> as eventful a couple of days as I had, but I hope you've enjoyed it nonetheless. This week we're with Helen Paris talking about her debut novel, Lost Property. It's uh, it's book club fiction. It's all about Dot Watson, who works at the London Transport Lost Property Office, reconnecting people with their stuff. It's about the memories in objects and how they have stories and how they can be magical. Now, Helen has worked in performing arts for two decades, touring all around the world. We talk about how script writing and directing and performing, how that influenced her novel writing. Also, where she escaped to when she got bored of her routine. Uh, And very quickly on the routine, uh, it's a bit different. She's not got a strict nine to five as normal. It's quite surprised me with with these authors uh, that we chat to. I I would have expected many many fewer of them less or fewer i'm gonna go with fewer many uh, not as many of them to have had so structured routines as they have had it's fascinating the way that they uh, wriggle out their creativity uh, helen had does not have that because she spent most of her time writing moving all around the place so that's coming up also there's lots of good software and font chat I know you might like that. Uh, That's on the way. Let's get into it as we always start with what Helen sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. You know, Dan, it's funny because I am speaking to you now because I've sort of, I've actually, I've, I've run amok. I have broken my routine because it was getting too routine. Um, 
I have, you know, because of lockdown, I've been in the same room, in the same house, looking at the same view, which is all lovely. But, you know, it's feeling, it's been feeling a little bit repetitive, sort of a year and a half on, whatever. So I have just literally, I've run to the hills. I've actually run to the Yorkshire Dales and I'm sort of taking a, a, a bus woman's holiday. Um, so today, right now, I am looking out at um, sort of a beautiful row of white uh, Belfast sinks sort of lined up like a like a row of sheep and then an old Yorkshire stone wall. And then actually beyond that stone wall, an actual row of sheep. So it's so good, like looking out of the window in the morning, I'm flossing my teeth, I'm looking at the sheep. I mean, this is just the kind of kick to the routine that I wanted. And then beyond that, this huge sweep of the Yorkshire Dales, which is absolutely gorgeous. So, so I am away for a week on my buswoman's holiday um, with this completely different view, which is giving me everything that I wanted, actually, from this little sort of escape to the country. Um, but my usual view is also just a delight. It's sort of this, um, <laughs> it's at home. I work at the very top of a Victorian house looking out, sort of, you know, I'm going to describe it as the cleavage uh, of two hills looking down onto the sea, which is which is gorgeous. And it's particularly lovely, you know, as, as the seasons change, although there's been little less change than I would have liked this year with just you know, quite a lot of rain. But I'm happy, happy for the sun we're having right now. Um, so, yes, so I have got, got a little bit, I have run amok, but um, my normal view is that the sort of view of the channel through this high Victorian window. Now, the, I've got a lot of questions to kind of un, unpack. So uh, you're, in, you're in Yorkshire. Was there any remit of where you wanted to go or was it kind of chuck a dart in a map and see where you ended up? Oh, such a good question, because it is true that I'm not quite sure who's leading who at the moment, but I do have a character in the in the book that I'm writing at the moment who's a big hiker, and she did a lot of hiking up in the Dales and round Windermere. So I'm thinking, you know, it gives me such a good excuse and, of course, makes this completely tax deductible to be able to, to come for my writer's retreat and to be inhabiting the world of, of, of Janet Pym as she is hiking around Windermere. So so it's, it was partly dictated by that and then also partly dictated by this, you know, just, just being such a gorgeous part of, of um, England and wanting to, you know, really, really wanting that change, that dramatic visual change that it would give me. Um, yeah. What, what what's the there's a lot of space where you are you know you've described looking out and you've got sheep and stone walls <laughs> and then more sheep and greenery all around uh, how long did that sudden change take to affect you i know where you where you normally are it's not the busiest part of the world but you're you're suddenly plonked in a place where there is loads of space you can't move for it how did that that feel did you feel yourself opening up like that Completely. No, absolutely. It's given me everything I wanted through, you know, about changing the scene. I feel really exhilarated. It's exhilarating countryside. It's it's unknown to me. So there's something about breaking that routine, really putting myself in an unknown place. And this little house that I'm staying in, it's got that thing that is so great when you go and stay in in um rented houses he's got somebody else's bookshelves and you know there's nothing that's more delightful you know when you go around if you're looking to buy a house or whatever it is you know or you're staying somewhere is having a good nosy at someone else's bookshelves and and when it's when it's rented accommodation like this you think well partly it's the owner's books and then partly it's sort of um a, you know a, a sort of a compote of all the different people that have been staying here leaving their books behind so you've got this really gorgeous eclectic range and it's in one of the it's in the downstairs loo so it's just you know that can take up quite a lot of time just perusing that but absolutely it's just the change of place the change of furniture everything being different I think is just a really nice thing to do I've got I mean the last two weeks of writing before I give my um this this draft into my editor so it's just a really nice thing to do just to take yourself somewhere completely different and and let that difference be um a really nice sort of uh really whets the appetite really sort of re-energizes you and certainly that's the effect on me what's also interesting is that i know that you listen to the show so you're someone that is interested in the craft and the process 
and the routines of, of writers, whereas you found yours becoming too routine. Uh, what was it about it that you that made you think, I guess, what was the straw that broke the camel's back when you thought, you know what, I just need to get away for a while? Yes, I think it, it's, there's, there's something about you said, a sense of, I mean, it, it sounds, you know, it sounds a little bit entitled really, because I feel, you know, after, after a lot of my life spent living, you know, in a very small London flat where I never had the sort of the pleasure of having my own um, study. Now I have my own study and that is such a delight, that room of one's own that is such a gift, you know. But I think there was just something about that's so that's so particular for me about this last year and a half that has been because of lockdown, um, just about staying in one place that makes me realise how much for my creative juices I really do like to be able to move around. Um, I, I, I need different environments. I need to be around people. I need to sort of change the locale for myself. So I, I really realised through, lock, through lockdown, even though I had time in a different way, that continuum of space became wearing like sort of, you know, eating constantly just the rich tea biscuit, you know, it became sort of flat and beige and texture lift textualist you know despite the sort of the, the, the glorious views so I just think um you know it just became the tedium of it I thought this is not helping you know and also partly because I was sort of practicing what I preach because I have taught um performance for sort of 25 plus years of my life and in fact the other thing that's on my desk at home right now because it came just before um just before I left to come here was this other book that I've written recently with my partner, Leslie, about the 25 years of performance making that we have done with our company, Curious. And it's it's basically generative exercises for making contemporary theatre and performance work. And one of the early chapters in that says, you know, it's sort of, um, it's really, uh, you know, talking to you know, the reader, talking to the student um, artist about, you know, what you need for your creative process is to really mix things up, you know, don't get sort of bogged down, always writing in the same place, always writing in the same way. So it, you know, suggests that if you're always writing on a laptop, change it over, get a notepad and pencil. If you're always writing, sitting at your desk, writing locomotion, you know, go on a train, go on a bus. If you're always writing by yourself, put yourself amongst other people. If you're always writing on a, you know, on just the size of a screen, what happens if you start writing on the back of a receipt for one day, something very small? What's the haiku of your writing practice that day? Or on a huge piece of, you know, butcher's paper spread over the whole of, you know, your floor. So, what ways can you just mix up um, the process for yourself? So, you know, as I say, to sort of <laughs> practice what I preach, um, that was one of the things I was trying to do. I was thinking, all right, well, you know, if this is feeling a little bit stale, what can you do to, to, to mix it up for yourself? Get up, go out and put a different view in front of yourself. And I'm telling you, Dan, I, th I really think it's working. Uh, what, what is it about it that's making you feel it's working? Well, the word count I'm very happy with. <laughs> and I feel that it has just let me inhabit my characters a little bit more fully. It's let me sort of, there's a freshness to them. I feel invigorated. And therefore, I think even when I'm rereading stuff that I've written, I um, I think I'm less... I'm less down on myself for it. I think, oh, I'm, I, I'm seeing new things in what I've written, and I'm also feeling rejuvenated in the new writing that I'm that I'm doing. You mentioned your desk just a second ago with the book that's on it. You you plonk me back in your your writing room at home if you can. We we know what's out the window. Uh, what else is knocking around? Is there anything practical? Anything that directly links to to the story that you are writing? Yes, I have. Uh... A sort of a little book holder that's two halves of a whale and stuck between in the belly of the whale, sort of that you've got the tail of the whale and the head of the whale acting as this book holder. And in the middle of these books that I'm looking at at the moment, and I'm what I'm writing right now is set on an allotment, and I am a very new gardener. So there are several books on gardening, gardening through the seasons, sort of a compendium of allotment gardening. Um, so there's that. Um, there's also, I like to have, I like to have not too much around my desk because I have got this extraordinary view. So I like that sort of enough. And then the, what, what's going on on the laptop. But um, I like to sometimes have a little bit of an inspirational quote to keep me, keep my, keep me going. 
So just recently, I've had, um, oh God, I've had that lovely one uh, from Sylvia Plath just written on a piece of card, folded up and put like a little sort of placeholder on my desk, which is, um, I took a deep breath and listened to the old brag of my heart. I am, I am, I am. Just because, you know, sometimes you just think, oh, gorgeousness of words, you know, and how lovely to have Sylvia Plath there with me. Um, And sometimes, so I changed those out. So another one I had up was... um, I really love how uh, the writer Frederick Backman can write char- get character and voice so beautifully. So one I had was from his book. Um, oh, what's, uh, oh, Brit Marie was here. That's right. And it's a plastic mug. Are we at war? Which I just thought was just such beautiful, such a beautiful way of, you know, showing um, voice and character. So that's and that's pretty much all. I've got a great old-fashioned angle poise lamp, which I need because the the overhead uh, light bulb is blown and I haven't changed it. So that's quite essential. That's about all. Yeah. Any any formal plotting on the walls? Anything like that? Oh, I go back and forth with sort of index cards. I think you know, coming when I'm making performances, I we tend to use a lot of my my partner and I and my creative and life partner work together, and we tend to use a lot of um, index cards when we're making shows. And they and it's great because you can really cut and paste, you know, on the floor with them and sort of move where you know what the first scene is and how things might. Uh, shape shift and also I draw a lot I draw a lot I draw scenes as well as sort of write what they are so it's quite a visual sort of um aid the memoirs so I have a little bit of that going on but you know I my I'm very character driven and I have to really work up my plot my plot is like doing my maths homework you know so so um I don't I I always know with a with a with a story where I want to start and where I want to finish but quite a lot is up for grabs in the in the middle. Um, so I have been working a little bit with index cards for what I'm writing at the moment, but I tend, I tend not to, I tend to keep pretty, pretty much a, a blank space. Um, I've got, it's, it's lovely being here just sort of remembering what's in my room and I've got what's coming into my head is that I've got this picture cut from an old magazine, a really old magazine. And it's two Victorian ladies wearing bloomers and they are um, paddling in the sea. And it's an advert for Beecham's powders, I think, like a really old, you know, 1900 sort of advert for Beecham's powders. So yeah, I like to have that alongside me. And this show is 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 getting niche by the day. Take <laughs> us onto your 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 computer screen. I mean, well, firstly, what what are you writing on? Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, and it's paper and pad. If it's not, um, what software and what font do you use, Helen? Oh, so I'm on my uh, little Mac laptop, and I use Microsoft Word, and I am you know I'm using Koshin. It's French. I'm not sure if it's cushion. Maybe that's I'm saying pig. I'm not sure. It's, anyway, it's cushion. I like it. It's very neat. It's very clear. And my handwriting is very large and very looped and not very clear and quite illegible. So I really like the um, opposite sort of pas de deux with a different uh, font. So it's very nice, neat cushion font. That's interesting because uh, when I was a teenager and would read a lot of fantasy stories and, and also things like Lord of the Rings, this Koshin is reminding me of that type of fiction, whereas yours it isn't that type of, you know, YA, boy finds, finds dragon egg kind of stuff. You know, it's not. No, it's not. But it's just a font that I'm very drawn to, but I didn't know that. I didn't. It's when I'm making a show, I'm devising a piece of experimental you know, live art performance work. That work is normally, I mean, I've made a few pieces that are more durational, so they would take, they'd be repeated sort of over quite a long duration, sort of, um, you know, a period of, of a day. But most of the pieces are uh, an hour, an hour and a half experiences for the audience. So it's been a really interesting thinking, how does that experience alter? How does that experience that I'm having with a reader alter? How do I create? How do I narrate differently when that experience is condensed in, in a different way so maybe a reading experience is obviously it's really it's really personal it's really dependent but some people people who have read um 
Lost Property, which is the first novel that I've written. A lot of people have talked, who have got back to me have talked about wanting to sit down and have read it in one sitting, that there has been something about it that has made them want to really stay with it, which I thought was interesting. And I wondered if that was informed at all by, you know, by being a performance maker and having an audience with me, you know, for a um, contained pe- period of time. Um, but you know, obviously knowing that people can dip in and dip out of a book and come back to it and have it, you know, alongside other books that they're that they're reading. So so it's interesting thinking about a different sort of reader audience experience. Um and I have also you know, a couple of other, you know, responses that have that have come from you know more than one reader have been about um, the, uh, the performativity of the book or performative or finding it theatrical in some ways, you know, and liking a sort of a collision of hearing, um, you know, I reference music quite a lot or it's quite, um, it's quite visual. And again, I think that that is probably, a lot of it is subconsciously that, you know, that experience of making um, performances that are, uh, that are very interdisciplinary, you know, so my performances will have text, but they'll also have movement and they'll have film and they'll have um, uh, yeah, music and all sorts of things sort of spliced in. So it's interesting to see how, I think on actually quite a subconscious level, that could maybe be coming, coming into the fiction writing as well. Some people really struggle with uh, getting any kind of performance that's a bit out of the ordinary that isn't either yeah a few actors under a proscenium arch or standard novels and you might not know the answer to this I I just might be interesting to unpack it what makes your brain slightly different or the way that you see art slightly different which means you can create across many different forms many different spaces well you know, I think essentially it, whatever whatever kind of, you know, arts or theatre you're interested in going to see, I think it's always about, or, or what we're doing here, you know, with, with writing fiction, it's always about that, that art, that act of storytelling and, and contact and communication, you know, that that you want to make with another human being, you know, the story that you want to tell. And so I, I, for for me, there's something that you can, sometimes you can tell something through using film in a way that is even more visceral, surprisingly, than it might be through live performance, or, you know, conversely, something that you can convey through live performance that is the, the most profound or poignant way you can, you can express it, um, than you might do through 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 writing it for um, a, a reader response, so for me, there's something that about the uh, sort of a, having a sort of a bricolage or a, a sort of collage of different media that can allow a story to be told in different ways, and sometimes it can be the most perfect way of of telling us, you know, telling us a story. But it's it's all coming back to that, isn't it? It's all coming back to wanting to have that communication with somebody else. Well, a lot of Lost Property, I started writing Lost Property in the middle of teaching and making performance. So it had to find its place and find its time. And I actually think there can be something really um, propulsive about that when you really have to find find that time to write. Um, so I would be getting up, get, finding those times in the day when I could really give my um focus to writing so getting up early in the morning was would really work for me at the time I was living in San Francisco so I would start the day writing and then I would go and teach a class and then I would um I was also doing I was writing through doing a writing class because partly I wanted structure I think it could be really important with any creative process to find a place that that allows you to have that that structure so it gives you permission to to do that writing so um i would finish teaching a class and then i would go and take a class in writing to get some of those early ideas down um and then i did a lot of the writing of lost property in locomotion because i was moving from um san francisco back to london and then within that move i was also making other moves from london down to the southeast coast so i was always writing in locomotion whether it was in rented flats or whether it was also that i was touring a show at the same time so i would be going off to norfolk and finding time to write so so always that um that sort of constant in a way and the writing really gives you that beautiful anchor i think of wherever however much in locomotion you are there is always that anchor of of the writing and that place you go into and when you go into that all that other movement 
disappears and you are just with that place and with those with those people with those characters when you're writing when you've got so much on and when you're moving as you say when you're all over the place um how 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 strict can you be with yourself to make sure you're getting your goal for the day done you, if you're taking snapshots here and there is there even an aim for the day or is it just you know what I'll, I'll, I'll try my best and see what we get on with yes I think it's a bit of everything I mean sometimes I know a lot of people go by word count and it's like I've got to get my 2,000 words done and then I think you know I have I've really reached that reached that goal for the day sometimes that works for me sometimes it doesn't because sometimes if I'm just sort of focused on the word count actually <laughs> the words um, don't always count for that much, you know. So I think sometimes it's got to be, I'm going to finish this scene. Um, and sometimes it's got to be, I am just going to take these two hours and I am going to take every single minute of them and I'm going to write within it, you know. So I think you have to be, you have to be strict, but you also have, there has to be some pliability within that because you have to let, you know, I think you have to let the, the ideas breathe and you have to, you know, in any creative process, you have to allow for those moments of wandering and wondering and, and pausing and falling over as well. You know, you have to allow, because it's never, I mean, maybe it is for other people, but if for me, it's not a seamless process, you know, you sort of, you write the bits that don't work and you write the bits that are ugly and messy and that fail and that flop. But I always think, you know, you sort of have to write those bits to write, to get to the to get to the good stuff, to get to the book that's got to get to the bits that have got some juice. And now your second, so you're you're in the middle of writing your second book, is that right? That's right. So we're here we're here to plug, we're here to sell the first <laughs> one. So don't worry. But I'm I'm just wondering when you write your first, when you write Lost Property in such a parapetetic is that the word para parapet parapet and when you, in in locomotion as you say when when you write it all over the place. Uh, what, what do you learn from writing your second book, from writing your first book rather, that influences the way that you plan writing your second? How did the first routine affect the second one, I guess is the question. I, with with both of them, place was really important. So Lost Property starts off set in Lost Property Office, an actual Lost Property Office of Baker Street, Transport for London's Lost Property Office in Baker Street in London. And the book I'm writing at the moment is set on an allotment. So for both of them, because I am I'm I am very interested in sort of embodied research. So with my with Lost Property, I spent some time in Lost Property Office and doing some work there for a week and so similarly with this book that I'm writing at the moment that is set on an allotment I got myself an allotment which was actually a godsend because it all coincided with lockdown I lit I moved I moved into my house that I'm living in now and there was lockdown and I got COVID like it was just like a domino effect just that was me that was last March for me new, new house new book and yeah. So, um, so thank goodness for the allotment because once I could, you know, once I could go out, it was just actually such a sort of it's such an elysium, you know, to have an allotment, and it was great. It was great for research. So, so there was a real parallel there with those with having that real sort of embodied um, space specific research place. But also this has this process has made me realize how much being able to move around is as much of a joy and a gift as it is a hindrance, because I have felt quite stultified, as I said, by being in this one place of lockdown for for writing the for writing the second book. You know, I realize how much it is. It's not just about place. It's about people. It's about being around people, being around life, that kind of stimulation is really important to me as, you know, it's absolutely having those moments when you can just cloister yourself away to get the word word count to get the work done but also on the other hand absolutely be in the you know in the muddy and glory of life having around you know happening around you and that I definitely had full force writing you know Last Property and now with this book it's it's just been such a different experience so you have to recalibrate hence coming to the Dales. <laughs> Aside from a bit of buzz around you. What else have you learned that you need in order to write, in order to write well? I mean, maybe it's something very small, like a cup of coffee at a certain time of the day, a little bit of music that takes you somewhere. I, both of those things, absolutely, several cups of coffee. And and I, I really enjoy a real sort of eclectic soundtrack as I, as I write um, sometimes. But 
And this is something I know a lot of writers have said on this program, but it is absolutely about exercise. I think, again, particularly because lockdown makes you realize, you know, what makes me realize how much I would just be getting my exercise through just moving through life. So my big investment, and I'm so grateful for it, was a Nordic track um, cross trainer, which I've got downstairs, and especially when the weather's when it's just pissing down. So and what I decided to do, especially in this last month, when I've got this last run up of finishing the manuscript, I thought, all right, what would be something in parallel with what I feel I'm doing right now? Climbing to the base camp of Mount Everest as I'm finishing my second novel. Now, those two things would work beautifully in tandem, I thought. And so, there, you know, there is this wonderful... Um, you know, these wonderful sort of trainers, you know, who you watch as you're doing your Nordic track training and they take you through this trick to base camp over 18 days or something. So, and they're really experienced guides. So you're watching them actually in Everest and then I'm in my, I'm in my house in Southeast, in the East Sussex, you know, going along with them. I'm not having the altitude sickness that they're experiencing, thank goodness. But yeah, so that's been really, that's been an essential everyday part of my writing routine, climbing Mount Everest. (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We'll get back to it with more from Helen in just a sec. Very quickly, if you're enjoying the show, uh, if you've learned anything along the way, we're nearing 200 episodes now. If you've learned anything along the way that has maybe helped the way that you tell your stories, you can always say thanks. You can always pay it back to us by supporting us over at Patreon, becoming a Patreon backer, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us carry on, helps us keep bringing you chats with very different authors, debutantes, uh, ones that have written their 500th book, some of the biggest around as well. We bring you all manner of different authors as often as we can every Friday at the moment. If you'd like to support that, uh, Patreon is where you need to go. For that, you get our eternal thanks, you get some merch, you get bonus content, and there is a way for your book to sponsor the show. So if you're feeling very giving as we move into the festive season, patreon.com forward slash writer's routine is where you need to go. Let's get back to it then with Helen Paris talking about her debut novel, Lost Property. Now, in this half, we talk more about the story and where it came from. Also, how much the characters drove the narrative uh, and why a, a regular person's turn of phrase, someone she met, how that inspired her to write the book. And we pick things up, chatting more about book club fiction, really. Uh, I've not come across the term too often. And when you think that I'm fully immersed in the publishing world now, having done 200 episodes or so. Uh, So it came as a little surprise to me. We talk about what it is and how much did she think about that while she was writing? I think it is... um... I suppose it's some it's a book that you think people can get their t- teeth into and have a 
have a good sort of Q&A about, you know, and I maybe imagine have some points where people would really go in and really enjoy a character and some people would have like, oh, I don't know, I disagree. And what did you think? And that I think maybe it's a book that offers um, layered themes that, again, a group of people could really get their teeth into discussing, you know, and I imagine it with a with a with a glass of wine as well. I feel that that's a part of book club fiction, that it's something that you're having a good meaty discussion. You're maybe having it with a glass of wine you know, that's allowing you to, to sort of push some points, to push some viewpoints, come up against, you know, um, a slightly opposing viewpoints. That's what I'm thinking, something a little bit, maybe a little bit juicy, maybe with some themes in there that can really get people interested and that can really people connect with on a, on a personal level. That's my, that's going to be where I'm, yeah. I'm going to go. How much thought did you give to that when you were writing it? Was that the intention or were you just telling the story as it came to you? Yeah, I no, I didn't think about that at all. I, 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 up, the themes of the book were really important to me. I wanted to write a book that looked at um, family relationships, that looked at love, that looked at loss, that looked also at the joy of finding um finding things when you, when when everything seems lost i lo- i wanted to write a book where humor and joy um sit right up against uh sort of pain and and loss and have that you know lovely sort of beautiful bittersweet uncomfortable um relationship um i wanted to look at themes of um yeah to look at different different kinds of loss and an experience of a woman. I wanted to really, I wanted to write a character that would be sort of endearing, oddball, quirky, that you would feel like an affinity with. Um, and I wanted to create this, a person that I thought you'd like to think was out there in the world, sort of paying attention and taking care of people's lost objects and items. I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't thinking about the book club and I, I wasn't thinking about the reader experience. Although I do think that, as I got to the end of the book, I was really thinking in the same way that I would with an audience, that what sort of, then what sort of experience did I want to give this reader? And I wanted to take them through a sort of a realm of emotions. And I wanted to take them through with this character that has a really strong voice who they feel a real sort of affinity with. And they get behind her right from the start and want her to confront and find what's lost in her own life. Now, there needs to be a plot to drive that along. So, Helen, Helen, just take me through the first (laughs) moment that the idea for this story came into your head. Well, it came after I had been doing some research in the Transport for London Lost Property Office in London's Baker Street a few years ago for a different project, for a theatre project that was about um, lost and found and change and regeneration. And so I was working in the Lost Property Office for a week because I thought that would be a spectacularly interesting place to work, seeing that, um, you know, seeing that absolute sort of communication and conversation about loss on a daily level, whether it's about, you know, about the most everyday object or whether about a very, very treasured object, which might also be a very everyday object. Um, And working there for a week, I think was absolutely fascinating that interchange between the lost property workers and the people that came in, either bringing something in that they had found that they really hoped the owner would come searching for, or indeed searching for something that they had lost. I was fascinated by the level of care and attention that was paid um, to all of those lost objects, even if it was just a collapsible black um, brolly. And I was also fascinated by down in the basements of lost property, that incredible archive of lost objects side by side, all waiting to be found. And then there was a gentleman that came in one day, rain spattered, and his first word to the uh, woman who was working with him, the lost property worker who was working with him, he said, I come more in hope than expectation. And I thought, oh, my God goodness you know aren't people poets isn't that just such a gorgeous line and I took that line and I didn't know right then I was going to write a book called Lost Property but Lost Property really took up residence in my imagination and then Dot Watson sort of tapped me on the shoulder and sort of asked me was there something you may have lost you know left behind in Lost Property and I thought you know there was there was a story there was Dot's story and it starts with a gentleman who comes in and says excuse me, you know, I I come more in hope than expectation, who has lost his 
holdall containing his late wife's purse. And the purse contains no money at all, but the value, of course, is absolutely emotional. It's this huge emotional connection he has to this to this beloved object that that holds in its sort of little leather body and its gold snap closure the memory of his wife. So he wants to find it. And Dot Watson, who has suffered her own loss, connects with his loss and goes off on a quest to find this missing purse. So, so you know, it's a beautiful... It is one of the more inspiring uh, uh, stories behind the stories that I've heard on the show. Um, what happens next for you? So when you've got these two characters, when they arrive, when they are given to you from somewhere like that was... Uh, what happens? What's what do you do before you start writing that very first sentence? Um. Well, you know, I I I really took the place. I took that place of lost property with me. So I went there in my mind, and that's the first thing that the first thing that went down. I thought, well, where, let me take you. Let me take you, reader, to this place. Let me take you to this extraordinary basement of lost objects. So I started there in this cathedral of lost that is lost property, and then I introduce you to Dot. So you were there with her from the start, and it's first person. So you had this very intimate connection with her. And then I, I, you know, I people this space with other workers, with these people that come in, because I think there's a real interest, isn't there, in 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 lost objects as people. And what do people come in? There's this, you know, I think we're fascinated by what people will actually come, come and hand in. You know, that sort of extreme loyalty, I think, of somebody coming in and saying, I found some keys on the street, or I found this old teddy bear with one ear on the street. I wondered if I should hand it in in case somebody came in. I think it shows this extraordinary capacity of, you know, sort of human hope and 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 yeah loyalty so i wanted to get something of that in so i think that 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 was sort of some of the terrain that i started and then wanting to get the get the reader really into this world of lost property and then to get us very much into the world of dot and what it is in our own life that maybe what our own losses are what maybe immobilizes us in our in our own life but also i think i wanted to explore different types of loss so there's a story of dementia and a, you know, so loss of memory and loss of sense of purpose and being lost in one's life. But there is also a lot of, I think there's also a lot of more positive delight in loss, like lost inhibition. There's one point, there's one scene where Dot ends up going to a what she thinks is a dance class and she's got a she's got her leotard on and her leg warmers on and it's looking already sort of thinking about the lie down on the yoga mat at the end. And she's in a she's in a Camden nightclub of um it's a it's a line dance class. So she's there doing the tush push suddenly with a line of steps and wearing cowboys. So you know, but she just goes with it and suddenly sort of loses her inhibition. So I wanted, you know, I I I want what I start to create is this this uh, sort of melange of different kinds of of losses that we could experience, and some of which are extraordinarily positive. And of course, in that, then what we find, what we find in ourselves, what we find unexpected finds in other people. Um, Dot has a very particular relationship with her very very conventional sister Philippa. You know, if we think of Dot Watson, wears felt uniform dreams of having a kumba band to, to be more secure in life. And her favorite word is sellotape. Whereas there's Philippa who, you know, is um, very conventional, clotted cream colors and a sink island, you know, and uh, in a kitchen, um, you know, an island in a kitchen and, you know, all of that. She's, she's much, much the conventional sister. And they seem at absolute opposites. They rub up absolutely the wrong way against each other. And yet there is a deep love, you know, that's revealed if you go down far enough. So I wanted to create those kind of finds that we have, you know, that these discoveries that we have when things, when relationships, when people aren't what they may first appear and, you know, how we discover that. With Dot, it was absolutely her voice. You know, I had that setting of Lost Property, but it wasn't until I had Dot's voice and it was absolutely that first person voice that she did then absolutely lead me through in that the story was very much directed by finding Dot's voice. And it's quite an idiosyncratic voice. She's a, she's a little bit old fashioned. Um, she's 
very, very diligent in tagging the lost objects that come in. She's, you know, extremely, extremely committed to her job of reuniting um, lost objects with their owners. So definitely through, through that voice of Dot, um, that was the that was absolutely my directive through writing the story that, you know, we have this incredible intimate first person viewpoint and 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 a very particular, very particular, very quirky, very oddball, but I think very lovable viewpoint. I mean, like I said, you know, earlier, I really did want by the end of it the, you know, the reader to feel I wish there was somebody out there. You know, particularly now, I think, particularly in this moment when we've all felt, you know, we've all been so bruised coming out of this, you know, last last year and year and a half or whatever it is now. You know, just the idea that there's somebody out there taking care and paying attention and get offering due diligence and you know um you know t- yeah taking care of, what, of what's lost and i i wanted i sort of wanted to create that person that would make us feel a little bit safe and a little bit loved and a little bit comforted so so dot really that was absolutely and through her came this came the story and through there came that this sort of wonderful cavalcade of characters that she meets and interacts with and the quest that she goes on to find um to find the purse and what she has to confront in herself in order to do so if if one writes a thriller as a story a crime thriller or something i would imagine keeping a reader engaged and page turning is somewhat easier than other types of genres now with with yours with with a, a book that is is all on a theme of exploring and about memory and about and about love and about finding what's lost how much thought are you giving to kind of standard tropes and traditions of storytelling to make the readers keep turning the page i think one of the things that was really important for me that the book has a lot of humor in it and i think i saw so that that felt that felt really important um that that helps the book sort of you know move along and that helps the reader go go with that i also uh i also think that real attention to dot's character and really wanting to be with with her you know to the end and she and putting her in some situations that demand quite a lot of her and keep that tension up with the with the um with the audience as well, like she goes to a she she goes to um, an auction to try and get the uh, purse back. So again, there's, there's there's quite a lot of tension. There's quite a lot of cutthroat activity there at the end. So partly some of those putting some of those little scenes in that sort of keep us keep us hoping she's going to be okay, and so, and more precarious scenes as well. So there's there's quite a lot of precarity in the book where we hope that Dot is going to be okay, and she has to get through quite. A lot of challenging situations so I think on that level as well and then I also think it's where you know it just like the performance process just like theatre making writing is such you know writing can be such a collaborative unexpectedly collaborative process so you then you have this wonderful agent and you have this wonderful editor who remind you of like and what can you do at this moment you know to 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 keep us with this with the plot you know what where can where can the reader be really you know brought back to that place of like what's going to happen and really really feel that tension and really feel that you know feel the sort of feel the precarity and I think those where the editor can come in give you this really helpful flag post and you think yes great fantastic thank you so some of that some of that editorial collaboration can be just just what you need at some of those moments with a book like this. Uh, Lastly you mentioned um, your the, the, the chap that came into the lost property office and he uh, said that very lovely and poetic turn of phrase. Uh, how much thought have you given to the poetry, I guess, or the, the the florality to the language that you're writing? How much thought do you give to the next word that you're uh, putting down? I give it a lot of thought. And again, I give it thought in conversation with your previous question, which is about how do you do that? How do you create a poetic text? A text that is often about emotion and is about nostalgia and is about memory, but how do you keep it clipping along? So partly you're doing that through character, partly you're doing that through humour, partly you're doing that through adhering to the plot points and creating, you know, tense and precarious scenes. Um, So also, I also want to be able to do that at, and keep a sense of poetry in the writing because I because I really want that that world that is 
I want it to be immersive and experiential for the reader. I want that sense of, you know, that I want that sort of poetic language um, that really allows us to inhabit this world in another way. I mean, I feel that partly there's something about objects um, themselves, especially objects that belong, you know, like your, your your mother's handbag or your dad's old pipe or, you know, your, your, your grandmother's saucepan, whatever those things are, it can actually be extraordinarily emotive, you know, especially if that person is no longer with us, because objects can be like portals to another world and they can take us back to those people, to those places that are, you know, no longer there for us even, or those people that are no longer there, you know, because they conjure up, you know, an object like somebody's like a purse, you know, that has been so, you know, hand, well handled and so thumbed and so used and has all those marks on it, you know, marks of a life that, you know, trigger sort of memories of that person and how they, the idiosyncratic way they would open the purse and you see their hands and then you see their whole body and then you see them, you know. So I love this way of objects being portals. So I think that for me, this novel about, um, about this lost property and sort of the poignancy of it you know, let me, invited me to have the poetry of the language as well as the sort of the mystery that and the quest that Doc goes on and the pace of it allows me to have allows me to have both and I think demands that I have both and I've really tried to do that in this book because I do think there's something really poetic and you know about about objects and how they can just for a moment take us back um, through their shape um, to the people that we connect them with. Massive thank you to Helen Paris for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you get a copy of the book if you've enjoyed it. Use your local independent bookseller. That's always handy. Uh, follow the show on uh, Twitter. We are at WritersPod there. You can always get in touch with us at writersroutine.com. Next week, we are with a huge bestseller. The international writing behemoth, uh, Ken Follett. Uh, writes those enormous historical fiction tomes, like 4,000 pages. Uh, they are one of the only stories that my father-in-law really ever reads. You know, th- those types of books, they sell millions of copies. He's got a staff of, I think, about 25 people working for him. And he's got a new thriller out. He wrote it during the pandemic, or during lockdown, uh, and it's called Never... It's all about a possible World War Three, and he's coming on the show next week to tell us all about it. So make sure you follow us and you won't miss the episode. Until then, you can always leave us a review on Apple. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And I will see you next week with Ken Follett on the show. Until then, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.